We're actually concluding our series spread this morning. If you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, no problem. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen for you to follow along. But we've been in this uh, series spread, and the subtitle of the series is How to Live When You No Longer Have Home Court Advantage. Because how many of you guys know that it doesn't always feel like you're living and working through life with a massive crowd cheering you on, believing in you, and it just feels like many times our backs are against the wall. We're outnumbered with what it feels like we're giving our lives to. So we've been using this series to kind of look at the model of the early church because there was a handful of these guys that started following this guy Jesus, right? And in the Christian faith, Jesus becomes the centerpiece of our faith and our lives because we believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. He claimed to be God, and because he lived, breathed, and walked with people after his death in resurrected form, come on somebody, that, that, that we believe and follow him. And when people started following Jesus, this so-called resurrected God, during this day and age, they were outnumbered immensely. This wasn't like the popular thing to do. This was a cult for people in their perspective called the way. And this cult began to multiply in a culture and during a time where literally this wasn't the popular thing to do. So for us this morning, we're looking in and we're trying to dissect and understand how did the church become successful. Because for us in our own lives, this is really practical for us because we don't always feel like we're doing things with a, ch- with a team cheering us on. Many times it feels like we're trudging through life, trying to navigate it with our backs against the wall, outnumbered. And it's amazing because here's God's plan. The title of this series has been spread. And rather than the supernatural of what we've been calling poofing, of God being in his great glory just saying, okay, I want everybody to know me. Well, I'm God. I'm greater than the universe. I'm just going to poof, and everyone is going to understand how much I love them. Rather than us going through the robotic motions of being pawns in this cosmological scene called life, the earth, and the universe— God chooses a different vehicle. He allows us in our lifetime through our own free will to partner with him, and he allows us to be the vehicle to spread what God has done. What God is inviting the the world and the earth that he loves so much, he's inviting us to be a part of the process of God's work on the earth. And when you begin to think about this, the God of the universe inviting each and every one of us into a process to partner with him It begins to really inform our lives. It begins to bring so much new purpose. And if you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this last message of the series this. Away game victory. Away game victory. It'll be up on the screen. Just a second here. There we go. Away game victory. If you're taking notes this morning, away game victory is the title. And here's what I know is that if you're a team and you're playing away, uh, when you win that game, when you're not in it with your home crowd, many times it's referred to as stealing a game, right? You stole something kind of that wasn't yours. You were able to accomplish a victory even in the midst of a crowd cheering against you, right? And it's interesting because we live in this world. And the Bible describes that the God of this world, maybe in our mind we think to ourselves, yeah, like, God is the God of the universe, but the Bible refers to the God of this world or the prince of this world as the devil, the enemy of our souls. In fact, there's a part of the Bible that says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And many times, I think this is helpful for us to understand, we equate that thief directly to 
the enemy of our souls, Satan. But when you read that verse in contact, you realize that there's this vessel that exists in between on behalf of the enemy of our souls. The thief in context of this verse refers to a human literally being empowered by the work contrary to God to be a false prophet, to speak against the journey, to speak against the power, to speak against the work of God trying to be accomplished on this earth. Isn't that so interesting for us to think about? For a second, because yes, the thief is the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but in the context of that verse, it's actually someone. It's a human being literally going the wrong direction against the work that God wants to accomplish on this earth. And how many guys know the devil does not have this demonic strategy of poofing as well? All of a sudden, everyone's going to be captive of him. But unfortunately, as us as imperfect human beings, we are captive to our sin, and we are easily able to make compromising decisions each and every day of our lives that are contrary to to what God wants to accomplish. In our lifetime, many times as humans, we make small incremental compromises based out of our imperfections that leads to a climate in our world that feels hopelessness, where we see corruption, where we see the world and we understand things aren't ought the way they should be simply because of imperfection and people missing out on the perfection that God offers and sees for our world. So as an example of one of these thieves, these false prophets, we've been talking about this specific person in the Bible named Herod. This guy was a menace. This was the guy who was trying to steal, kill, and destroy. See, the church was beginning to multiply. The church was beginning to blow up. And this guy was like, you know what? I'm going to cut off the head of the beast. So he goes for the leader of the church, Peter, and he puts him in prison. And last week we talked about this miraculous intervention where Peter's in prison and God just like swings open the, 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 the jail doors, right? Swings open the gates for this man to escape. God intervenes supernaturally and shows us time and time again, once again, that he's in charge, right? That no man is going to stop what ultimately God wants to accomplish. But in the meantime, there's this curious idea that God invites us to be a part of it in the same way that he's inviting Peter. And we see this massive contrast where we're about to pick up in the narrative and finish this series, where we have Herod, this leader contrary to doing God's work with the early church, people that are literally giving their lives for the service of other people to connect with the God of the universe. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 12, starting with verse 20. But before we do that, let's pray this morning, because I just believe God has something for each and every one of us this morning. So let's set that stage. As we continue, Lord, we come before you this morning thankful for your word and thankful that this isn't just ink on pages, Lord, but these are words of life, words of power, words that when we meditate, words that when we read, words that when we digest, they do something to our lives that goes beyond just normal words on a page. They breathe life. They're active. They're alive. They help us overcome some of the obstacles in our life simply because it reminds us of who we are in you. So, Lord, would there be something this morning for each and every one of us that we cling and hold on to? It's going to look different, but we're thankful that you've created each and every one of us uniquely. We all are on a journey, but you have something specific for us today. So, Lord, we receive that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Okay, so we're going to be picking up in Acts chapter 12, verse 20. This character, Herod, who's a little bit angry, that the guy who was put in jail somehow 
escaped. And it says this, it says, Herod had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. So last week we left off with Herod basically taking out all this rage that he had about Peter escaping and killing every one of the guards that was supposed to do their job. We see this type of leadership being one that's abrasive, being one that includes killing, taking away human life. And now Herod has all this other drama that he's having to deal with. You see, as a Roman overseer, uh, Herod was in charge of a region called Judea, which included Jerusalem. This was a very Jewish region, which included racially and not just religiously, the Jewish people. And he had this relationship with other surrounding regions. And what he was doing is he was inflating prices. He was inflating the prices and the goods that was coming from this massive metropolitan area for other countries that he had relationship with so that why? He inflated them so that he can uphold his royal lifestyle. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. This injustice, right, of this man that's not only willing to kill people because of his glory, but he's also willing to literally use the injustice of the economy to uphold his upper and royal lifestyle. He was exploiting other people's wealth for his own pleasure. Once again, he was stealing in the same way, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What do we see Herod doing? He's being influenced to go in the opposite direction, to take things away that God wants to grant as a blessing. He's terrorizing these people. We get to Acts, and we move on to verse 22. So he's, he's in front of this crowd that on behalf of others, they're trying to get some justice. They're trying to push back on what Herod is oppressing. So they gather this crowd together, and they've, now they've got in with the king, this crowd, and said, this is, this is unjust. We must confront him. And the narrative goes on, and it says, they shouted within the crowd, this is the voice of God, of a God, not of a man. So can you imagine this scene, right? There's some people, we've got to gather a crowd, and we've got to confront this man for his injustices. But even within the crowd, there's people that are they're starting to claim this man's deity. This man's popular. Not everybody's upset with him. And people began to deify Herod. Verse 23, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. So there's this moment here. People are deifying him. He has a moment to make a decision of saying and acknowledging, am I God? It says an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. See, this is interesting because Herod is usurping God's prerogative. See, this is the moment where he has the glory to accept his man-made divinity. People are claiming for him to be God, and what does he do? He receives it. He's like, you know what? Maybe I am God. I feel like a God. I have all this power to control. I have all this authority to manipulate, to move the puzzle pieces of what are human beings with particular purposes and to value them as people and manipulate them for his own selfish gain. And how many of you guys know that human history shows us a proof 
that has never really fared well when it comes to rulers who deify themselves. Some, in a measure of success and their selfishness, might say, yeah, they accomplished a lot, but here's what happens to every deified human being. They eventually die. They succumb to the reality of death. Their bodies give way and stop and bring to a halt the menace of what they had tried to accomplish in their time on earth. So what happens? This angel strikes Herod down. Verifies, once again, it's gone too far. This man is trying to wreak terror and havoc, and it is not a part of my ultimate plans and purposes. So God uses his authority in the midst of the free will that exists and says it's done and strikes this man down. But there's a contrast here because if you remember last week, right before Peter escaped from jail, this angel comes in. And what is the angel? He's in such a deep sleep. And we talked a little bit about deep sleep and people that sleep or sleepwalk, right? It's like, man, like I've never been a sleepwalker. And it just fascinates me meeting people that like, yeah, like I, I sleptwalk before. Like Callie sleptwalk one time and like literally woke up in a car when she was growing up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? I sleep next to this woman. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, okay, so, so right, he's, he's in such a deep sleep, Peter. And the Bible says that literally the angel had to strike him. And isn't that interesting? And a little bit of a, in the narrative earlier, the angel is having to strike him, just to strike Peter and be like, wake up, sober up, you got work to do. And for those that are against God, what does he do? He strikes. God strikes. But in this narrative and in this situation, he strikes in a way that says, nope, you're not going to wreak havoc on my people anymore because this is coming against my ultimate authority of what the church is going to accomplish. No more, Herod. No more. Let me remind you that I, once again, am in charge, even in the midst of this mysterious relationship of human free will, partnered with what God wants to accomplish. And then, and then the verse moves on, or the, the section of Scripture moves on to Acts chapter 12, verse 24, and here it is. But the word of God continued to spread. Spread. And it not only spread, but it flourished. We're finishing up this series, and it's interesting to really navigate and understand this massive theme of what's happening, is that God's using the vehicle, even in the midst of persecution, for his church to spread, because the mission of Herod, once again, is self-glorification. It's about me. It's about my rights. It's about my power. And the mission of the church, this contrast, on the other hand of it, the mission of the church is to not glorify ourselves, but to glorify a God greater, bigger, creator of the universe, who's not only big in authority, but humbles himself to choose to love us. With the posture, when it comes to the authority God had, he takes the complete contrary posture that many times humans, when they have too much authority, abuse. And he gives us a posture and a contrast and shows us a model that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of our backs feeling like they're up against the wall, that the best way for human life to thrive, the abundance of the human experience to move on, isn't through massive power and manipulation, but simply through the vehicle of personal relationship. Personal relationship 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 becomes the vehicle that God chooses 
with all the massive authority that he has could use to manipulate, to abuse us as lowly peasants in the framework of how great God is from a cosmological perspective of he is the God of the universe. And we are so small in light of him. But what does he do with his authority? He uses us and allows the most humble topic and vehicle of personal relationship to be the very vehicle that causes the church to spread and flourish even in the midst of so much human power and authority. Evil rulers cannot stop the spread of the good news. How many of you guys know that you could have all the power in our day and age? I love, I love where we live in 2019 because big businesses that use authority and power, how many of you guys know that some of these businesses, these big businesses that use their power and their authority, many times to abuse customers and sometimes what it feels like lowly people that are cogs in the, in, the, in, the, in the wheel of our culture, are beginning to not thrive as much. Many of our big businesses are beginning to die because what we have learned with our technology and our connectivity, that it matters less about your big, grand reputation and authority, that you're the big boy, so you dominate and you monopolize, but we live in a culture where we have this amazing, powerful thing called user reviews. I don't know about you, but when I buy a product now, I'm not like, well, they have this massive reputation. I'm like, is this a good product or not? So you know what I look at? I look at the power of literally the personal relationship of somebody taking the time to review a specific product. Big power and big company does not thrive in 2019 in the future because we are so connected now. We want to understand how people personally experience whatever we're giving our hard-earned money to buy. But isn't that so powerful in the way that God used humility, personal relationship to be the vehicle to spread? You can be the biggest dog in town, but the vehicle that's actually going to spread this product of the good news, that's going to allow people to experience the goodness of God, that there is a God who loves you, that acknowledges your imperfections, but even in the midst of your imperfections, gives you a purpose and a hope to go be the light of the world, to go change the world on behalf of what God wants to do. And even in the midst of our persecution, there's encouragement in this conclusion. God's plans won't fail. God's plans won't fail. And there's a relationship with us and God's plans. Meaning this, that when you get on that team, when you partner with the God of the universe, ultimately what we're acknowledging is the truth that, you know what, our lives are the plans that God has for each and every one of us this morning. They don't fail because we're partnered with a God who sees the massive, the massive reality of this lifetime and on a moment-by-moment -moment basis chooses to have relationship with each and every one of us. He knows the beginning from the end. He is in charge. So when we as human beings, lowly human beings, get into what God's doing, we are inheriting what God has deemed of this is where we're going. I'm on the winning side of this equation. And we partner up with a God who gives and informs and helps us understand that God will not fail us. Our plans will not fail us in light of who God is. But it's got to start with God. Because here's what I know. Some of us are really, really ambitious about what we want to accomplish on this earth. But it has to start with God's plan. 
his big plan. Because here's what I know. As human beings, we can get ambitious and want to change the world and go rogue. But God, first and foremost, he, he informs us. Before Jesus leaves, he, you know what he says? He says, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That was the mission. And here's what I know is that we live in a day and age where we can be activists for so many different things. We can say, I feel like my life purpose is this, is that, is this. But what God is constantly trying to get our attention with is saying, your plans are great. And I've designed you uniquely. You are a worksmanship. But remind yourself that I am your creator. That you can go, you've been gifted, you've been uniquely created to have a mission, to have a calling. But it has to partner with mine. Because when it doesn't partner with my idea of how we're going to spread this thing, it's going to do great things. There's many things that people accomplish simply because God's created them uniquely. But here's what I understand, and here's what we learn and we understand based on the vehicle that God's created. We miss out on the potential to partner with that intimate relationship that God wants to push through us to invest in other people through this thing called discipleship. I believe it. You could say God's designed me and go rogue, and you never, like, even care or acknowledge what God's called us to do. And you can go make an impact. But, man, you're going to meet your maker someday, and he's going to identify and show and reveal to you how it could have had so much more potential partnered with the way that he sees the world. The way that the vehicle of sometimes when we see something great in our lives produced because we've created it, man, our intentionality and literally our success, it always points back to, look what I did. But God's constantly acknowledging and pushing us to say, forget about what you think you could create. Partner it with the vehicle that I've chosen and see it spread immensely. We can, in, in our name, accomplish so much in our lifetime, but we can completely miss its potential when we don't acknowledge the vehicle of how God chose us to make an impact on the world. Your cause for God or for the world, right? Many times we do things so much in God's name, but then we don't obey in light of what he's called us to do. It'll fall flat because it'll boil down and essentially point back to the kingdom of us. It will lose out on its eternal potential. It'll lose out on this amazing news that God's trying to broadcast and spread to each and every person to inform them of how much he loves them. And then we're going to finish off this morning in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And it's curious that it, the narrative creates a clean break where we're about to stop. But it says in verse 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. You know, Barnabas and Saul... They were doing relief effort. They were anticipating, the church was anticipating this massive famine was about to happen in the region. So Barnabas and Saul, they went off to go literally fund. The church began to give generously to prepare people for this massive famine. And, and, and now they're back, right? And they return and there's this interesting part that talks about they begin to take somebody with them. John, also called Mark. They've got a new apprentice. They've got a new relational investment, and they essentially have a new person to carry the cause forward. You see, the, the verse reminds us that the church was spreading. The church was blowing up. 
But then it gives us this little humble reminder right after it tells us about the glory of the spreading and the flourishing of showing us the method of how that's accomplished and reminding us once again, inviting somebody along in the process, taking time to not think that we're going to be these massive people with massive authority in this mouthpiece for crowds and generations of people represented in massive arenas because of what we've done with our life. But God reminds us that might happen for some. But the vehicle for each and every person is the authority we have to get with one other human being and begin to invest our life in them. Begin to say to ourselves, yeah, I'm called to do something big, but am I actually partnering with the vehicle of how God told me to do it? Taking time with an intimate space with a handful of human beings. For us in our Western minds, we're like, that's just not big enough, right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, that's really underwhelming. But God reminds us how much power there is when we choose to invest in a few. What happens when we think about the people in our lives, in our minds, who we know are kind of on the fringe, and we say we make a commitment and say, I'm going to give my life away to that person. I might not own everything, but I'm going to spend intentional time with each and every person that comes to my mind, one to three people, let's just say one, and spend a season investing what God's given you into that person. Things start blowing up is what happens. Because we begin to partner with the humility of the authority what God's given us to be people that pass on the blessing of what's been given to us into the lives of other people. So here's our practical application this morning. Because we're, we're tying a bow on this bad boy, right? And this is the practical application for this, this series spread as we, as we finalize it this morning. What's your away game strategy? Because we live in a world that's not like, we're all Christians. We're all just doing this Christian thing. No, that's not the world we live in. People are suspicious of church. People have ideas about church, Christians, whatever. Take whatever bad title and it's been given to Christians. Start to Google the word Christians are and see what the recommended sentences finish it off with. I doubt it's going to be Christians are awesome. But maybe, just maybe, it's because we've sought out the glory and the power of beating people down with a truth and a grace and missed the whole point in the first place. So what is your away game strategy? Is it one of glory? Is it one about yourself? Is it one I want to do things in the world so I become known? And you're like, well, it's for God, it's for God. But really it boils back down to the kingdom of you. And this is what it boils down to. How have you prioritized disciple making in your life? Because God's saying, here's how I'm going to spread my glory. Here's how I'm going to spread a culture of heaven meeting earth. Is intentional, one-on-one investment in other people. And for you this morning, you're like, disciple making? There's a little bit maybe of a pushback in your heart and your spirit. Because you're like, I don't even know what that looks like. But I love it. Because we can translate it this morning. Have you prioritized investing and spending time and investing in a fish for your life? Because here's the deal. If each and every one of us in the room, if we made this decision, we made this commitment this morning, can you imagine what would happen? I'm going to take 12 months, find somebody that I have an influence with, with my life and invest in them, pray with them, fast with them when they begin to encounter hard situations in their life. Sit with them and 
Allow God's glory to break in as we read the scriptures. Commit to a person in doing the things that Jesus did with other people. Even when we're a mess and we don't have it all together. What would happen if each and every person committed to spread? Committed to the vehicle of how Jesus got it done. This church would grow immensely. It would take some time, but here's what would happen. Those seeds would begin to pay off. So how have we prioritized it? Because we, we got limited amounts of time. So what does that look like? Is there a priority to say, here's my schedule, here's time that I'm going to practically use to invest in others? And I'll just be the first one to just be honest about it. I'm not the most intentional person about this. And God in this season has been convicting me to say this needs to become more of a priority. Because Jesus has prioritized us to do this. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you cannot get out of the responsibility of what Jesus called us to do, to go and to invest in other people. We can't get out of it. Some of us might say, well, I don't want, well, that's tough then, because this is, this is what we do. Because it's not the grandest, most glorious thing. It's simply literally making time for others and saying, I'm here to invest in you. I'm giving my life away. I don't have it all together, but let's come together and figure out and create a dynamic of understanding what it means to follow Jesus together. So here's, a, here's, our, here's our next step this morning. And here, here, here's what I believe, because I wanted to get really, really practical. I think it gets overwhelming when we think about i got to invest in other people. And you might be a person that's saying, my life's too much of a mess. How can I be a person who invests? Well, that's, that's why God calls us to first and foremost be disciples. Create an appetite. Start living in a way. Because I just truly believe this. In order to make disciples, you got to be one first. got you got to get there. you got to be a person that makes a transition from the lordship of myself to the lordship of the kingdom of God. A government that says, your life is not your own. You give your life away for the investment of others. And for some of us, those muscles haven't been built yet. And we're saying it takes a little bit of time. But God wants to show you, teach you. God is inviting you to take steps forward in your life. But it first requires you to say, I want to be a disciple. And here's what I know. Our world loves power. It does not love service. When you are born into this earth, your soul craves power more than it craves service. But when we make that kingdom transition, you know what happens? We start to have a desire to serve other people. The transition of the kingdom of me to the kingdom of God. A government where we say it all is about me and my rights and my blessing and my benefit from X, Y, Z to one where we say my life's not my own and I want to leave a legacy behind of God's grace, his thumbprint, and his imprint in Jesus' name. So we as a church, guess what? If we're all about this and being disciples, this is why we put events on our church calendar. Because here's what I believe. Serving others is a part of, of being a disciple. And I love it because we have an opportunity in the next few weeks to serve our neighborhood. Our church is pointless if we sit in this neighborhood and nothing positive happens outside these walls. If there's no progress in the neighborhood we sit in, what's the point? What is the point? We should be seeing and making movement of the way that heaven touches and feels. But it commit, it, it's committing our appetite to being a disciple. And I'm not saying this like guilt people in this. I'm saying that this is an opportunity for us to partner with that. Because I know people have busy schedules and you might not be able to do this. But here's what I'll say. My prayer as a pastor is to see our engagement with one week from today. We're going to be going around handing out flyers to people in our neighborhood, knocking on doors, and saying, hey, we want to serve you. 
We want to do yard work in a few weeks for you. On April 7th, we're going to come, we're going to serve you, and we just want to open our lives up to the posture of serving another person. So next week, I just want to invite you, a practical next step of how we can be a disciple, how we can literally understand the posture of what it means of service rather than selfishness, is this is, this is why we have it on our church calendar, for us to bind together and say, hey, we want to love our neighborhood. We're not just going to sit here, do our thing while everybody dies on the outside. Those are two sides of the same coin. So when those things aren't happening, are we truly following what God wants to see happen in our community? So this is our next step. Sign up. Easy to sign up. Swing by the connect table if you're available next week. We're going to have lunch together, 1 p.m., and then we're just going to go out. We're just going to, we, we've set boundaries on our neighborhood. We're literally the blocks surrounding our church. We're just going to figure out if people want to be served. Maybe nobody signs up, wants to do it, and then we, we, don't, we don't have anything. But man, let's, let's, let's start literally investing in the people and the human beings that matter to God, that live in this neighborhood. Not taking a posture of saying, well, we're better than you, but taking a posture of saying, hey, we, we want to wash your feet. We're doing this because we're, we're followers of Jesus. We're doing this because it creates opportunity and openness for a conversation that hopefully leads to a conversation about how there's a God who loves them so much. That wants to serve their lives in the same way we take this posture in a practical way to serve them. That's the next step this morning where we transition literally from this being theory to this being, this is, this is what we're committing to as a church community and hopefully getting as many people to engage with this as possible as we love on our neighborhood. Amen. Let's pray this morning as we close.